Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Serial Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Of course, the game that, you know, I think was like shocked the world is Ronaldo and Portugal being being thrown out of the competition by a, a plucky Moroccan side with a Fiorentino Safia Namrabat. Can I just say something? This whole World Cup and Gazetta and all of those and everything that we were speaking about in Italy was all like, what's going to happen if Milinkovic Savage has the world's greatest World Cup and then how much is this price tag going to be from Lazio and Rafael Leao and what is he going to expect from you know Milan if he has this tremendous World Cup and then the whole world's going to want to buy him? And it's just Safian Amrabat. <laughs> That's the guy <laughs> that shines on the biggest stage, you know. And Fiorentino are like madly calling him, being like, hey, we love you. We really appreciate you. You know, we hope you stick around. And his agent's like, I'm getting called every day, you know. And what a tremendous, tremendous World Cup journey these guys are having. And he talked about the amount of injections and the amount of pain that he's playing through and the amount of just how much beatings these guys have done, how exhausted they are, and and they continue to perform at the highest level. Miracles. Yeah, I mean, what a what a, a story. Morocco are the first African team to reach the semi-final of the World Cup, is of the Men's World Cup, is I think actually of, any, of either World Cup. I don't think there's been an African team in the semi-final of the Women's World Cup, but I'd have to double check that. I think they've been remarkable. They've been astonishing. I mean, Amorat is a fascinating case study because... You know, a year ago he couldn't get a place in the Fiorentina team, and you know, he couldn't couldn't get a place over Terrera at Fiorentina, and he's in the team this season. I, I still don't know if I've seen him play as as well in Serie A as he has in this tournament. In this tournament, he just seems like he's everywhere in in that role in the middle of the park, just hoovering up the ball, making sure he's got it, making sure that it's uh, that defense is shielded. But and, you know, again, I'm sorry you weren't able to make the, the chat with Adriano. I mean, I'm not sort of referencing no. it to sort of highlight that. But um, I, I was saying to, to Adriano, I think 
Ennisiri, who, again, as I've said with other teams, does not fit the bill for me of uh, your elite number nine that you want leading the line in a World Cup. But his jump for that goal was Ronaldo-esque. How poetic that Ronaldo's last ever World Cup game, perhaps, is is ended by a a, a Ronaldo-esque leap because he was just... That was one of those moments, wasn't it? It was one of those moments where you think to yourself, this is this can only happen because it's a World Cup. That thing you sort of hear about how humans in traumatic situations, sometimes people pull off feats of like superhuman strength because like your body goes into like this adrenaline mode and it just does something that it shouldn't be able to do. It was almost like in a positive way that like the stage, the moment, the chance that he was given, his body responded in a way that it probably couldn't do 99 other times out of 100. But in this moment right here, he could get that leap and he could score it. And uh, I mean, it was, it's an amazing story. Um, I know on the Portuguese side, there's criticism. I've seen um, people sort of saying, oh, was it really right to not start Ronaldo? Was it one thing just because it worked in the previous round? Doesn't mean it was going to work this round. All those questions will be asked. But Morocco have just been, they've just been so amazing. They've been the, the, the surprise package by far of this tournament. And it's amazing they've got all the way to the semi-final now. Out of curiosity, would you have started Ronaldo? I would not, no. Um, I, I, I think you, um, once you've made that decision, have to stick to your guns. Um, and it's, it is delicate. I understand the delicacy of it because I think you're not just making a football decision. You are making a decision about the chemistry of your team, about the chemistry of your squad, about how it's going to impact players' attitudes and and mindsets and all of that stuff. I can't know as well as the manager can. I'm not there in the changing room. I don't know what the dynamic mm-hmm. is between these players and 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 how that will will change things. But I think once you've made as big a decision as as dropping him to begin with, I think it it loses some of its power if immediately the next game you flip flop back again. Um, unless you're very very confident in how you project that, I think. Well, here's the thing. This is what I mean about playing the opponent rather than playing the game. I think overall, I understand the way that Portugal played with Ramos against Switzerland, against what was like a really weird version of Switzerland. Like, why didn't we face this Switzerland during the qualifiers, huh? Where was this Switzerland when <laughs> Italy were trying to qualify for the damn world gap, yeah? It was just this really open side that left so many gaps that obviously Portugal and a really fluid Portugal as well with all of this movement up front and, and Ramos having the time of his life. It was just, it was stunning to watch. But you are playing Morocco now who defend like, obviously like Lions, as we've seen, who haven't conceded a goal that are very about tacked, you know, like a, a tight and packed defense that are quite deep. I'm not sure that's your answer. Like you have to look at what the tactical solutions are and then you sort of respond to that rather than responding to say, well, actually they were really good in the last match. So we'll do it again this match. Okay, but your opponents are different. So what about that? Mm. And I don't know whether... I, I don't know if I'm being too Serie with this thought, Mina, but sorry to cut you in. Cut you in. I was just thinking like, talk about Ronaldo, talk about Ronaldo, talk about Ronaldo. I thought maybe it would have been a nice idea to put Rafael Leao on the pitch more than 21 minutes because once he was on the pitch, he beat his man. And that's how you open up a, a deep set defence sometimes is with a player who can dribble. Well, exactly that. Like, why wouldn't you start him? Do you know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't you have a guy that can actually beat a man? Do you know what? It was almost like, these are the players that did really well and I'm just going to stay with them because I'm loyal to them. And that is, 
I don't like that kind of coaching, to be honest with you, because if it is always about players that do well, then Keza will start every game for Italy, but he doesn't because Mancini chooses when the moments are right to introduce that kind of vertical power. And when you need somebody like a Berardi, you know, and that's the superpower of a tactician that should be, you know, you read the opposition, you read the game and then you adjust tactically. And I don't think we've seen enough of that in this Um Obviously now wildcast coaches will choose clubs more often than, than they will choose to, to, to take over a country. Um, but for me, that was, it was, it was irritating me. You know, I think he's done a, a tremendous job, the coach of Portugal, um, Santos for, for so long now, but there was that part of me where I was like, you have to adjust to what the opponent is. They don't play the same as Switzerland. You have to like, you need the speed of layout. You need the, also, he's just somebody that just doesn't, he does what he wants to do. He's not scared by what you're going to throw at him, you know? And if he's scared, he'll just keep mm-hmm. trying again. He's relentless in his, his, his relentless in what he does. And I, yeah, that kind of irritated me a bit on that level. But obviously like being an Arab, having an Arabic team as well, being there is, it was, it's really difficult because you feel so sad for the other team when they do as well. Like I was so sad for like um, Brazil as well, even though like it was just, mm-hmm. But I, I was so, so thrilled for Morocco. I was so thrilled with just the, the way that like the world exploded, the amount of like, I don't know, Piccadilly was just crazy in London, you know, Edgware Road, obviously. Um, then you just saw Paris break out. I mean, Paris had breakouts all through that day. You know, you had all the North, North African contingents celebrating Morocco. Then you had them celebrating France, obviously, over their win over, over England. And it was just... It's a really nice story because it's a, it's a Moroccan coach. You know, obviously they lost their coach like only three months ago who was sacked. Never seems to be able to take a team all the way to the World Cup, even when he qualifies them, you know. But it is like all these four, 14 players, I believe, that were born elsewhere, that have chosen Morocco. And you know why I love Italy so much in, in some of the way that they do it? It's, it's almost like when Italy won the 2006 World Cup, it was like, don't come at us about us and Calciopoli. Like, we're here to defend our country. We're here to defend, like, our style of football, our way of football. And, you know, we're not going to have anyone talk smack about us. Yeah, and it was like this this performance where you had, like, Canavaro just losing his mind at the back and, and like, having, like, he was possessed. It was like, I don't care what you're going to do. I'm going to, like, I'm going to break through. I'm going to defeat you. You're never going to get a goal past me. And and I feel like Morocco is, like, playing with this chip on there, like, you know, you're not going to get through us. But they don't do it in a desperate way. They seem very comfortable in their style of play. Mm. They're playing like they belong. There isn't a fear or an insecurity or a, I've never been here before, so I don't have the experience of this. It's nor is it emotional in any stretch. It's quite like we know what we're doing here. We know we're going to give everything. Actually, we've lost most of our defense. We've had to make changes that we didn't want to make. You know, Ziyech went off, but we are very confident in what we can do, and everyone's trained in doing the same things. And it doesn't matter if not if not everyone is at the level of Hakimi and Ziyech and or Amrabat. We're still good enough to be this team that can defeat all these great European nations. And then it was almost like when they defeated Portugal, there was a lot of success and happiness, but it wasn't, they weren't shocked by it. You know, I think we were all shocked more when it was Spain, but when they did it again against Portugal, you start thinking to yourself, they know what they're doing here. They're, they're well-equipped. They can score goals. You wouldn't know that from Chidario, but you know, like otherwise they're just, they are a, key, a team that can score goals. They're not Greece. It really upsets me when people try to compare them. Greece really did just defend with 10 men, you know, and it's Morocco had the same amount of shots on goal as Portugal. It's not like they don't have the ability. They don't possess the ball. But to me, they remind me of a Villarreal, 
Does that make sense? It's just this team that knows exactly what they're good at. You know, they can, mm-hmm. they can get goals when they need to. They'll play you as the opponent. They know what it is that you can do. Like they weren't as deep with Portugal as they were with Spain. And yeah, they're, they're very much the pride of Africa and the Arab nations so far and kind of the underdog that has like kept us all entertained in this competition. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I, I was reading a um, a Substack article earlier from uh, someone who I found in this World Cup, actually, I wasn't aware of his work before, um, called Twitter handle Umir F1, writing about sort of the the visibility side of it as someone who he's English, but sort of feeling the sort of connection with this um, Moroccan team from the point of view of a Muslim and talking about seeing people's families on the pitch and, and the visibility of of seeing mums who reflected people who he's known in his life and 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 the sort of community that he would feel connected to people who he feels like he would call auntie in the way he would describe it and 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 talking about just in a very personal way how that sort of connects with his identity and you know being English first and foremost and sporting England but then also feeling the this sort of connection that resonates differently to people who I guess you can see yourself reflected in. And I I thought it was a really powerful, beautiful piece of writing if anyone wants to check it out. But I also thought, to me, that's, that's what these tournaments are about. It's what the World Cup's about. It's it's something that I think I talked about in our preview show and, and World Cup and family and, and how all that stuff matters. And I love it that there's a group of people and I think peoples from all different sort of backgrounds relating to this team in that way. I think from the sounds of what he's written, a Muslim community that feel like that, um, an African community we've talked about, first African team in, in the semifinals. You've mentioned the Arabic community feeling something. And there's overlap in all these communities, but I think there's just a lot of people who follow football who haven't had a chance to watch a team that they feel reflects them in the way that this team does. And that's, and that's such a cool thing and is what World Cups are, are all about. And you know, it's a thing I've wanted to say, and and I I, I sort of don't quite know how to to frame it correctly because I I feel like with some of the criticisms of this tournament, which I will continue with to the end because they're important about um, human rights abuses and LGBTQ rights and the framing of oh this is because it's in Qatar and it's it's a it's a sort of a, th- a decision that's being made just because of where it is. I. I think you have to be able to separate those things out because when I criticize Qatar and the decision toward the World Cup to Qatar, not criticizing communities or or people who deserve this representation as much as everyone. And I think what I'm 
So the point I'm always trying to make is, you know, think about that as well from the point of view of those who don't see themselves reflected in a tournament where LGBTQ plus people aren't, aren't welcome. You know, that's, that's the other side of that coin is we should feel able to get that representation as well. I, I personally, when I was reading his piece, I thought about, as I've mentioned a few times, Balotelli and his mum. Balotelli and his mum, to me, that was me connecting with my nonna, with my Italian um, grandmother who passed away when I was, you know, still a kid. But I remember her and and seeing that moment he had with her. That was me getting to have that. And and seeing yourself reflected in that is is so powerful. And I, it's a joy to me that there's a whole new group of people who are getting to have that at this World Cup. It, it makes me really, really happy. And um, I hope one day we can have World Cups where the same can be said for anyone of the LGBTQ plus community is that, oh, there are people like me who are also getting to be part of this. Well, Nikki, this is going to make me a little bit emotional. <laughs> I, yeah, um, it's exactly that. We have had it at Women's World Cups. We have had it at Women's World Cups. And I want to have it at Men's World Cups as well. Sorry, that was the end of that thought. But, but it is that. It is so nice to have representation or to see people that look look like you or come from the same backgrounds as you and more importantly, show patriotism, you know, to their country, to their style of being without trying to sort of be somebody else to fit in, you know. And and I and I think I think that's what is so brilliant about this Moroccan side. It is something mm. different for um it's really difficult to put this into words, actually. Like, you know, you're so eloquent when you think about it in your head and then you come to talk about it on something it's like it's a podcast. Hard. It's and hard then you, to get it words Yeah, and you're, and you're trying to put it into words. But, you know, like one thing, for example, is there was just this really funny comment um, from someone I follow on Twitter and it just really made me laugh. But he's like, I don't understand that there are no dads in Morocco. <laughs> because it was like, <laughs> everyone was just going up to their moms, you know. The coach was going up to their mom and obviously Bufal started dancing with his mom and Ashraf Hakimi and his mom. And I was saying this is, it's really like in Muslim religion, there's like a, a saying, which is, I'm going to say in Arabic, but it's the back, which is your mom is three times, like as in who, who you sort of idolize is your mother and then your mother again, and then your mother again, and then it's your father. It's a case of like your mother's with you sort of like at times, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not to say that the father's not important, but a lot of times what you get when you're a Muslim girl or you're a Muslim woman is that, oh, you know, you're treated really badly. And like, and you always sort of try to defend against that because actually women are, are very much beloved and such an important part of the religion. And they are celebrated for everything that they are. And they are first place in, in sort of, you know, being a mother. It's like you're everything, you know, like if your mother is happy for you, you will succeed in life. So that's kind of always the message. And that's why a woman, a, the mother is always so important to these, to these men. And why they go and, and, and they show their appreciation to their mothers most of all. Um, and you get that a lot in European nations as well, you know. So it's not like it's just obviously only for this, but it is one thing that I, I just wanted to mention about why the mother thing is, is so important. But it's also the commentary, like is Peter Drury just like the world's greatest like commentator sometimes <laughs> in the way that he just says things like, I'm going to just say one thing that he said, which is drink it in Casablanca, relish it in Rabat. This is your night. See it from atop the Atlas Mountains or above the Marrakesh Express and night to Morocco will never forget. And that was his comment. Like, it's just the way that he prepares for these matches, you know, the way that he has just like that. And then he says it with all this passion. Obviously, I've said it like it's a poem. Yeah. But it's just 
he he makes you emotional when you're watching these things, you know, and, and you're watching like a whole like I don't know country, race, ethnicity being represented, and yeah, and and it kind of what was so brilliant about that is that when Walid Ragragi, the coach, was asked about it, and he's like, "We're doing this for Morocco. It's lovely that we are being supported by the Arab nations. We're supported by the Africans, but we're doing this for our people." And how many of them are born outside but have chosen to represent Morocco, even though you could have like grown and, and perhaps seen so much of your branding changed if you played for Spain or you played for the Netherlands or you played for France, for example, but they chose to play for Morocco. And for example, like at the time, Van Basten told Ziyech that it was such a stupid move to choose Morocco. And actually, they ended up qualifying for the World Cup when Netherlands didn't in 2018. And they've gone further now than they did again. So it's not like, and it made me think about all the other nations, you know, like Algeria, how much they would have benefited if, if, if you know, and their team is very strong. Obviously, they did win the Africa Cup of Nations. We see Riyad Mahrez, Benasser choose to play for Algeria. And you just sort of think to yourself, like, if they play right now with like, like Maxime Lopez, for example, imagine him in midfield alongside Benasser if he chose to play mm. for Algeria. Kylian Mbappe is half Algerian, you know, Karim Benzema alongside Riyad Mahrez, Adam Unas. Like, wow, what a team. Do you know what I mean? And then you build that whole legacy of an African side. But a lot of what you get is if you are raised in a country, you are torn. So I wanted to ask you, you're, you come from two countries that are really powerful in football. Where would you choose to play? Oh, I think it's clear. Like I, I cover Italian football. I support the Italian national team. If I ever had had an ounce of athletic talent, I'm sure I would have wanted to represent Italy, but I don't. So. <laughs> okay, but let's say it, England was more success. Is it about success at all? Would you choose country? Like as in when you chose Italy, is it because of where your heart was? My my choice of, of, of Italy over England in that sporting context never really felt... Like it was like a, a thought about choice that was asked when I was very little. It was uh, the 1990 World Cup, whether I was going to support England or Italy in a third place game. And the, the decision was was instinctive. It wasn't sort of something that I considered in a deep way. And why I felt like that, it's hard to know why you want anything when you're a kid. I, I could say that it was that Walter Zenger was the player I was most excited by at that World Cup, which is true. I don't know why I loved Walter Zenger. I think it's, he seemed a bit crazy. Really? <laughs> Okay. I like Scalacci too, of course, but Zenga was my first sort of football obsession or whatever. And I, I wanted to get like the goalkeeping shirt afterwards, which um, the first football shirt I ever asked for. And, and I was given, although I'm sure with hindsight that it was just whatever goalkeeping shirt my mum could find. And she said, yes, this is the one because I was a kid and didn't know better. And I very much doubt she could have found a replica Italy goalkeeping shirt in England in, um, in 1990, but she found it. Or found something. When I think back to being a kid, like it was always the story in our family that like I was the Italian child because in personality I was more like my dad. <laughs> and yeah. my brother was the English child because English he was child. more reserved and quiet, like my mum. And that was just sort of the story of how it was, whether or not there was that sort of being told to you as a kid reinforces it in your head. I don't know, but yeah, look, I, I am English. I, I grew up in England. I probably understand England truthfully better than I understand Italy because I've lived here for most of my life. But on a on a, a deep level, I I feel connected to Italy and like there's a part of me that belongs in Italy. And whenever I go there, I always feel like some part of me feels home there. And and that's that's a hard thing to 
to explain in a tangible way, but it just, it just is who you feel that you are. Yeah. It's really funny because obviously we, me and my sister were going through some of our DNA tests. We, we have like a field day with these things. Yeah. And I'm only actually, weirdly enough in, this, in the DNA test, I was only 6% Iraqi. So I'm, I'm actually not, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and it's so bizarre because like, for example, I have no Spanish blood, but if there was if I ever did consider like retiring in a country and living in a city, I would always choose Madrid. Like I, in many ways, I am Spanish to the core, but I'm not just Spanish. I'm madrileño, you know, like I want to have, mm. I want to have dinner at 12 PM, you know, like I love everything about like the way that it's like Madrid lives, you know, like I love all their restaurants. I love their, the, the way their lifestyle, the way they think about things, the way they, I identify with it so much, but in sport. I am so ridiculously Italian. It's crazy. Like, you know, it, it's, it's like, I, I, I lose my mind. Like I'm like this when I'm watching, I'm hiding behind like sofas. I can never like comment. It was horrible doing the Euros because people would be like, so what do you think of the game? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't watch most of it. I was like behind the sofa <laughs> being like, did he score? Did he score? You know, like even if it's Berrettini playing a tennis match, I'm going crazy. It's Ferrari in Formula One. It's Valentino Rossi in, in, in MotoGP. Like it's just, it's, it becomes like this weird, like volleyball. I was like, yeah, crush him. <laughs> I don't even watch volleyball. Do you know what I mean? I don't even understand the rules. Okay. But it, and it's, and then here's the thing. I grew up in London. I'm English by every stretch of the imagination, right? I went to a proper girls' school, yeah, which is like a proper English, English girls' school, yeah. And yet my year had only one English girl in it. Mm. It had three, three Iraqis. Imagine that, yeah. It had three Italians, two Argentinians, a Persian girl, um, one Indian girl. Um, it was just, it's, it's just such a cosmopolitan city. And what I love about London is it allows you to be whoever you want to be. There's, you know, you don't have to take on, like, I don't know how to explain. You can be from a thousand different countries and you will find your home in London, you know? Mm. Um, but, and I grew up watching American TV. So most of the time I, I understand all American jokes, all American TV shows. I, I never watched anything to do with EastEnders or Coronation Street. So it's so bizarre. Like even late night shows, I watch all like Seth Meyers and Trevor Noah. And, and I understand everything about the Republicans versus the Democrats. But you asked me a little bit about like, I don't know what Rishi Sunak said. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about English politics. And it's just, it's amazing how the people of today nowadays, like, where are we from? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, like, where are we from? Like, I, there's just so much, a little bit of us and everything, considering where your culture is, what you identify as. In many ways, if you ask me, I feel like I'm Spanish, you know, but... <laughs> Hell, when when Spain are playing Italy, I want those guys to lose like and like lose like ten <laughs> goals, you know. So it's just it's it's just an interesting one. But I feel like Morocco is a bit of all of us at the moment because they just they're the underdog, and you always want the underdog to win, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, I mean that's that's totally true, isn't it? Cross culture, everyone everyone identifies with an underdog sometimes. So yeah, it's easy to cheer for them. Become a member at patreon.com forward slash Chronicles for regular bonus episodes and content. Sports Social Podcast Network.